Welcome to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. My name is Fergal Byrne. Over the coming months, I'll be interviewing senior business leaders actively working on supply chain decarbonization, reducing Scope 3 emissions in a variety of different industries. We discuss companies' decarbonization journeys, the challenges, their experience and strategies, explore what is working, and identify key lessons and insights. I'm very pleased today to welcome Pankaj Bhatia to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. Pankaj is the director of GHG Protocol and the acting director of WRI's Climate Programme. He is a leading expert and authority on the GHG Protocol standards and tools, particularly in the area of corporate Scope 3 and mitigation action. Thank you very much, Pankaj, for joining me today on the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. I am very happy for this opportunity, Fergal. Excellent. Maybe just to begin with, can you just tell us a little bit about your job, uh, what your work is, Pankaj, with a particular focus on your GHG protocol work? Yes. I started with GHG protocol actually long back, almost one can say right from the beginning. GHG protocol was set up in 1998, and I was working at another group at that time in the U.S., and I was invited to join the steering committee of the GHG protocol as a representative of my organization at that time. So I started as an external steering committee member of GHG protocol in 1998. And over a period of time, I became deeply interested in this work. I produced some of the earliest papers, discussion papers, as a steering committee member. And I've been working since then. I have been involved in almost all its seven standards, global standards. Uh, the GHG protocol has produced seven global standards so far and more than 25 guidelines, in addition to a number of calculation tools and emission factors databases. Very interesting. From the beginning, I was I was working and I was one of the authors on the first standard that was released in 2004, Corporate Accounting and Reporting Standard, and then... Oh, in subsequent years, I became manager of GHG protocol work, and then later I became the director of GHG protocol. I'm presently the director of greenhouse gas protocol, and uh, we are presently actually, the, my special focus right now in the GHG protocol work is to complete uh, our land sector guidelines, that we have global uh, land sector guidelines for companies, and also plan for updating the scope two and scope three standards. You've been there right from the very beginning. You've much, much to say, I'm sure. Now, what, why, Pankaj, are standards so important when, we, when we're looking at decarbonizing supply chains? And I'd like maybe if you could just talk a little bit about the role of the GHG protocol and, and indeed the relationship with the SBTI, the Science-Based Targets Initiative. Yes, I think the uh, basic mantra that is behind the philosophy and the power of the standards is reflected in the phrase, you cannot change what you cannot measure. So measurement is the foundation for managing greenhouse gas emissions impacts. And GHG protocol provides the framework to properly measure your emissions and to identify key hotspots to prioritize business action and focus. The standards, they, they provide two important mechanisms for companies and other stakeholders. Accountability, what I call accountability mechanism, 
whereby uh, companies can ensure accountability in their plans, in their goals, and incentive mechanisms, whereby there are a set of incentives that drive business action. So when we develop standards or we develop rules that companies would follow, these rules embody both these objectives, accountability objectives and incentive objectives. And so they become a driver of not only a, a robust management of emissions, but also a driver of ambitious action. I think one of the biggest contribution of GHG protocol has been in the scope three standard. And I believe we will talk about it a little bit more that how it has been revolutionary. The relationship with SPTI is a very simple relationship, similar to our relationship with many other programs. GHG protocol provides accounting and reporting standards. And then those standards can be utilized by companies or other users individually by themselves, or they could be adopted by programs with their specific program objectives. And and then those are implemented through those programs like CDP, SPTI, Science-Based Target Setting Initiative. SPTI, the accounting foundation is provided by GAG protocol. So that is the relationship. And then SPTI adds their own additional rules on target setting. Given its focus, it's a target setting program. And so how to contextualize inventory and scope one, scope two, scope three emissions and translate that, that accounting standard into target setting uh, rules is the role of SPTI, and we support them in that. The GHG Scope 3 standard, you mentioned the word revolutionary, a big impact from your perspective. Can you talk a little bit about it, how it's evolved, how successful is it, and how how would you measure this? I think uh, Scope 3 standard is increasingly becoming more effective. Its, Its origin, of course, is in the first corporate accounting and reporting standard that was published in 2004. Uh, and if I have to reflect on even further historical origin of scopes framework itself, then it came originally from our stakeholder engagement that started in 1998. BP, uh, British Petroleum, they were using actually a similar framework in their internal accounting system. And it, it was discussed, debated, and adopted in the GSD protocol. And it was uh, framed in terms of scope one, scope two, scope three accounting framework. It basically reflects a life cycle accounting approach or uh, in the context of business, we call it value chain accounting approach. So what we, the, the way we approach it is that greenhouse gas emissions, it, it doesn't matter where they occur. And there can be situations when uh, we have, we are managing greenhouse gas emissions that companies could demonstrate improvements in scope one, but the emission generating activities have been shifted to their value chain. And so, so we understood from the beginning that this problem cannot be addressed properly unless we have such a comprehensive approach where leakage can be addressed. So basically, this means that if a business were, were was producing products through GHG intensive operations and to reduce their direct emissions, if they start importing those products instead of producing it themselves, still those products are being produced somewhere. And that this particular business is contributing to those emissions. And so a value chain approach is only the, is the only right approach to ensure that there is no leakage of emissions that is happening. Secondly, value chain approach is, is an approach that incentivizes collaboration between uh, various business partners across the supply chain. Value chain approach allows for fundamental changes in the design of the products 
so that during their use phase or during their disposal waste disposal phase, uh, they are causing less emissions. And so it's the value chain approach that I think is the driver of innovation, driver of collaboration, driver of integrity in ensuring accountability. The scope three, when it was first introduced, it was of course seen as very difficult to implement. But I think in the last 20 plus years, Companies are increasingly using Scope 3 standard worldwide. How well established, Pankash, would you say is the Scope 3 standard? Thousands of companies that are reporting to CDP, a number of them actually are now also reporting on Scope 3 emissions in CDP. More than 2,500 companies participating in the science-based target setting initiative. They have taken on value chain targets, Scope 1, Scope 2, Scope 3 targets. And so its application is growing rapidly. But at the same time, it is also recognized that there are certain sectors where scope three can be very difficult to implement and they require a lot more support, a lot more work in terms of uh, the kind of data that is required, kind of tools and calculations that are required, which do not exist yet. And I can talk about it more further down. But I think it is important to understand that there are other sectors very important from scope three perspective and where it is not so difficult to quantify scope three emissions. For example, oil and gas sector. Uh, oil and gas sector is the most important sector in the context of uh, climate change, tackling climate change. And fortunately, scope three reporting for them is not so challenging. Right. Very interesting. We can talk about some of those uh, points you make uh, with respect to tools as well. I think one of your uh, former colleagues, I think if I've got this right, suggested some time ago in an interview that scope three emissions might be, as it were, the buried treasure of corporate GHG management. I think hinting at the potential for very substantial reduction opportunities, which would maybe not apparent immediately. Has this been your experience working with companies? Very true. Scope 3 for many companies is is the largest source of emissions. In that sense, it also presents the largest business opportunities to reduce emissions, to drive innovation and collaboration. Uh, I think uh, for um, some sectors, I mentioned oil and gas sector, but probably also this could be true for the finance sector, investment sector. Scope 3 could be more than 90% of their combined scope one, two, and three emissions. You mentioned innovation, driving innovation a few times. Can you maybe give some examples here that might not be apparent also about where the innovation comes from? I think, uh, you know, when I use the word innovation, it is not just in terms of uh, technology development. I think innovation is is in terms of uh, the range of business activities that are involved in the value chain. So innovation in companies purchasing decisions, uh, right? The, from where do they purchase their raw materials? You know, from innovation in terms of their suppliers, management of the suppliers' scope one and two emissions so that the com- purchasing companies' scope three emissions are reduced, their costs are reduced. They're, they're likely if suppliers are implementing an energy efficiency measures or measures to replace uh, GHG-intensive inputs into the production by uh, with uh, less GHG intensive alternatives, then those emissions will also likely in some cases reflect in cost reductions. They may reflect in some other additional efficiencies. So I think there is a virtuous cycle here uh, in terms of the innovations in trying to reduce emissions that also become innovations in contributing to, to the business bottom line. Uh, and, and then I think uh, 
overall, I think in a larger sense, when we speak about innovations, uh, let's say, let's take the example of oil and gas sector, their products, fossil fuel products. So one, we need to replace them with products that will not cause greenhouse gas emissions. So that is the very generic driver of innovation that I think is already having an effect uh, in, in looking for alternatives. Very interesting. Now, companies are facing all kinds of and have been facing recently challenging, very challenging supply chain situations, COVID, the invasion of, of Ukraine, all, all kinds of challenges. And at the same time, as you say, this is still relatively early stage on, in, in scope three, notwithstanding the, the, the momentum. Some companies, understandably, put it on the back burner a little bit and say, listen, there'll be more tools, there'll be better data. Uh, this isn't mission critical now. We've got other issues to deal with. We're not saying we're not going to do it, but you know, it, it might just be put a little bit on the back burner. What would you say to companies that, 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 are, that might be shall we say, tempted to just focus on some, some more of the shorter term or more immediate challenges, which they obviously need to do. But what, why it's important to be working on this now? It is extremely important to be working on it now. This is only, the pressure is only going to grow in the coming years on companies. I, I think as we can see, if we daily read news stories, how we, the world is beginning to see the impact of climate change. We are seeing these heat waves that are occurring right now in Europe in the UK and also in the US. Uh, we hear how the current administration is planning to either declare climate emergency or some very urgent actions to reflect their commitment to uh, tackle this issue. I think uh, the pressure is growing in, on multiple fronts. Uh, SEC has issued uh, uh, rules and they are now right now going through a finalization after the comment period that was just over. If they, they go through, then they, they will require scope one, scope two, and also reporting of scope three emissions with some safeguards in the beginning, but eventually scope three emissions may also become mandatory. And so companies should not delay and they should also understand that this is a journey. They, you know, they have to begin the journey and uh, they, I think, need to, even if it is small steps in the beginning, it will, these will be very meaningful steps. If, if they, in many cases, they have difficulty in using in finding primary data from their suppliers, uh, they could start with secondary data and estimates to fill the data gaps. The GAG protocol offers a supplier engagement guidance document on our website, and we provide some guidance on internal planning steps, including how to identify internal departments and ensure responsibility for data collection, selecting suppliers and engaging with them for supplier information, engaging the procurement staff, developing methods for managing supplier data, and working with suppliers to collect data. I think this will require a lot of training also on data collection methodologies, surveys, regular check-ins, and consequences for suppliers that choose not to respond. I think it has to be taken very seriously, and, and many companies, many large corporations actually are setting up very comprehensive programs on supplier engagement. And some of them are starting that journey. I, I know one big retailer who has thousands of suppliers in China, I think probably 30,000, 40,000 suppliers. And presently, their program covers about 2,000 suppliers. They started a voluntary program and about 2,000 suppliers are part of that program in ensuring data collection, primary data. And they, I think they plan to expand it. And, and there are some incentives also for suppliers. So I would say that not to wait and to begin the journey and 
begin addressing these challenges, some of the guidance we already provide. And I think in the upcoming updates work also, we will address some of the additional issues and few and, and, and more guidance on how companies in some challenging sectors can begin to calculate robust scope three information. So can you talk a little bit about this question of primary data and secondary data and the importance of starting with what you have, the use of secondary data and where primary data fits in? Because there's people will be interested to hear you on this. Yes. So I I, I think uh, primary data uh, may not be of the highest quality or com- most complete or representative. So for example, for a company that consumes a homogeneous product from a supply chain with many tiers of suppliers, right? So they, 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 they may have a, even a higher quality secondary data emission factors in terms of uh, CO2 emitted per kilogram material on a life cycle basis. And that can be more reliable than collecting primary data across many tiers of suppliers if the primary data itself is of low quality or cannot be verified. So I think companies have to make that kind of an assessment. Uh, They should not ignore the possibilities with secondary data. Sometimes secondary data, like I said in this example, in a situation where a company has a supply chain with many tiers of suppliers, a secondary data could be even higher quality than a primary data that they may collect. They try to collect from many tiers of suppliers, but it cannot be verified. And, And I think companies should also now consider systems for acquisition of data in in terms of the data quality criteria that are applicable to their business and to set up systems that improve data and tracking systems for future uh, traceability inside and outside of value chains. So that is another investment, I think, that will improve the data quality. In general, how well understood do you think the Scope 3 standard is, Pankasha? And maybe what are some of the specific problems that companies face implementing the standard? I think uh, at least the scope three standard is a very comprehensive standard. It has a framework around 15 categories and the guidance uh, on each of these categories, there is a specific guidance on its relevance and uh, its uh, calculation. And then in, in addition to the scope three standard, we have also a very detailed calculation guidance document, scope three calculation guidance document. Then further, we also have a number of uh, sectoral tools and databases also that are growing on our website. So I think largely what I have heard is not uh, any confusion or misunderstanding on the design or the theory of the standard itself or the framework or the concepts, but largely it is on implementation. I think if there is a any confusion whether scope three can be done only using primary data, then that is not accurate. Uh, companies can begin to report scope three based on secondary data and estimates. So that I, uh, I, I think uh, that should not be a barrier. Uh, companies can uh, improve data quality over time. Primary data that is collected by individual companies in the value chain is not always of highest quality or most complete or representative data. So you know, that shouldn't still be a barrier. I think it is important that when companies are reporting on scope three, they explain the context and the basis of their calculations so they can contextualize and ensure that there is transparency on the quality of the information, whether it is low quality or not verified or whether it has limited traceability. And so that way, at least uh, they begin to represent that information 
And over a period of time, they should also explain what are the steps they are taking to address those challenges. Now, many companies, many more companies are setting net zero targets. How does Scope 3 fit in, Pankaj? So net zero targets are not meaningful if Scope 3 is not included. Because you could uh, reduce your Scope 1 and 2 numbers, but your largest impacts could be in Scope 3. So, for example, oil and gas sector. If suppose you can imagine an oil and gas sector company were to take a net zero goal for just Scope 1 and 2, it will be seen as farce because their biggest impact is in scope three. Similarly, in, for the financial sector, I think the, now the societal expectation is that for those sectors and companies where their bigger footprint is in scope three, it must be considered part of their net zero target. I think increasingly this is already demonstrated through the SPTI <clears throat> that scope three is required uh, with some qualifications. I think scope three is, is the way in which companies can approach the broader system and economy rather than in isolation. And it is the basis to ensure systemic uh, net zero impact. We, we want uh, that the net zero impact is equal and systemic. That, that What it means is that it should not be the case that a company becomes net zero, but it has shifted its emissions to another part of the world or it has caused leakage and then overall emissions into the global system has have not been reduced or have not been tackled. That's why we want companies to set net zero targets for all three scopes. Yes, makes sense. It's joined up thinking in many ways, Pankaj. Now, building scope three, measurement and reporting capacity seems to be an essential step on a company's decarbonization journey. Can you talk a little bit about this and some of the challenges here? You talked uh, already about the lack of primary data not not being an issue, but any general observations about this measurement and reporting capacity? Yes, I think companies should consider this as a long term investment. There is a it's, it's a business investment and not just an investment in emissions management. And so, establishing a quality scope three inventory management system that has inbuilt evolving uh, st- uh, uh, inbuilt steps for evolution is is required. I think the the hallmarks of a mature program would be that it has automated data collection processes to ease resource burden. It has identified areas to improve data collection processes over a period of time. It has uh, methods to incentivize uh, and ensure uh, participation by its suppliers, particularly for a global company if the suppliers are spread across, uh, particularly poor developing countries where there are capacity limitations in terms of data collection, where there may be language issues. And so the company will have to invest to ensure interfaces, for example, in China or in other countries where many suppliers might be located, that they can interact effectively, they understand and they have the required capacity and skill set. I think companies should really start to require from their suppliers to have a dedicated uh, capacity on collecting and calculating scope one, scope two information that becomes uh, for the global company scope three data. So a lot of investments uh, is needed and a lot of training and capacity building is needed and application of technology and automated systems is needed. And you think this is goes beyond meeting scope three targets? I think so, because I ultimately, when you look at the scope three emissions or actually any emissions, even scope one, 
for, for the company. Uh, they ultimately are linked to efficient utilization of resources, efficient utilization of energy, efficient utilization of materials. And so the business value is not just uh, meeting scope three targets. I think the business value over time is that uh, companies are becoming more efficient in terms of their resources, they are reducing their costs, they're reducing their suppliers' costs, and they're just becoming more competitive compared to others who are not doing a similar investment. Yes. So, so, so are you saying that you think there's questions of competitive advantage here? Absolutely. There is an absolute competitive advantage here, and not just in terms of the actual costs and opportunities, but also in terms of public uh, reputation and recognition for companies who are in, at the forefront of helping now the global society to address the problem of climate change. That's very interesting. And do you see within companies, clearly people involved in the supply chain function, closer to that, get the message. What about others higher in the organization, maybe more C-suite folks? To what extent do they need to be engaged? Have you seen this? I've seen that quite a lot, actually. I, I think... Uh, uh, the C-suite uh, leadership is increasingly very, very well engaged. Uh, and I think uh, they are also fighting the, the battle. And they, in most cases, I think uh, it's now the implementation. Implementation is the challenge. So yes, my answer is yes. I, I think they, they are also aware that now the bigger barriers are data collection, sub- managing uh, supply chains in, in a way that they are engaging their suppliers not just on basic business variables, but also on scope three emissions and the information required. They're, I think, increasingly employing educational programs also. And so I, I think maybe uh, in a in couple of sectors, even those C-suite leaders are engaged, but they are not, they're still shying away. Uh, maybe that is the case in a couple of sectors and in, within those, some players like in oil and gas sector and finance sector. I think there are still some players who are not taking on this as seriously as we expect them to and not taking on the full responsibility and still hiding away from this responsibility, I think. So looking to the future, Pankash, what are some of the factors, would you say, maybe new technologies, uh, data sources that you think will make managing scope three emissions more straightforward? I think so. I think uh, also training of suppliers and providing incentives for suppliers to be engaged in this. And and I think now they have to think about consequences for suppliers if they don't provide, they don't provide or they don't participate in submitting the, the data that is required. But I can speak about also, if you like some of, you know, as I mentioned, we are going to work on the scope three standard. We will be updating the scope three standard with some additional guidance. So we have just started that process. Uh, currently, there is uh, an independent evaluation being done by experts at a university, and they will be providing us a report. Our this first this will be our first step to understand how has been the practice of uh, using Scope Three standard, what have been some of the successes, what have been some of the difficulties and challenges, and what are some new areas that have not been previously address that we need to address. We are already becoming aware of some of the new areas. Uh, For example, we need to provide additional clarity on what are mandatory boundaries for various scope three categories, potentially by sector. 
We need to provide additional clarity on finance emissions. We need to revisit purchase goods and services category to consider creating subcategories that will be very, very relevant to the retail sector. We need to provide clarity on how to account for emission reductions from when a customer co-finances, co-finances the, a project with a supplier, then clarity on how scope three interventions are, or scope three reductions are treated in scope three inventory and clarification on how to address circular economy. And so together, I think a number of areas have already been identified. We plan to do a, a global survey that will give an opportunity for all JG protocol stakeholders to provide their feedback. After that, we will finalize the plan for updates and we will set up a process and start the work in early 2023. We expect the updated standard to be completed in one to two years time and a faster timeline this time. That's great to hear, Pankash, and I'm sure that guidance will be much appreciated. And thank you so much for your time today and talking to us and explaining the details of the Scope 3 standard and talking through its evolution and its future. And I wish you the very best of success with your ongoing work. And thank you so much, Fergal, for uh, the excellent questions and, and this interview and look forward to listening to the podcast myself also. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. We hope you found it interesting and would love if you could share with your colleagues and leave a review. If you would like to find out more about EcoVadis, please visit ecovadis.com.